Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. Praise be to God. John chapter 6, verses 41 to 71, next installment of our Superman, Human and Divine um, series in the book of John. Um, God's good food refused. God's good food refused. To put my teeth in to say that. This is actually um, True Bread from Heaven, part two. And this is the subtitle. Pastor Rob, salute you. As we um, yeah, in- encountered John 6 last week. Now, good food. I think we all enjoy good food, right? Um, we especially enjoy it when it's good. And yet, I, like many, can be quite choosy um, when it comes to our food. And there were certain times as, as a youngster that I, I struggled with the food that was offered to me. I remember there was one occasion when I, I, I sat down and um, my gran had prepared for me as she would do. And um, she said, you know, you must eat it all up because it's good for you. And it got to this point in the meal when I had to wrestle with this item that I had left. You know, there's, there's those things when you're anticipating, you know, uh, even if I try and mix this, mix this with something else, like get some rice on with it or something, like this is just not going to work for me. And so I had put this item to, to, the, to the last and I was just like, I know if I don't eat it, it's a problem. Because when my grand says, eat it all up, she means eat it all up. And so I'm thinking, what am I going to do with this? There was no opportunity to... And I know like some ladies, you've got those handbags where <laughs> somehow or another, you, you, you can, you know, if, when there's those unwanted, um, you know, items on the plate, they can somehow find their way into the handbag. I'm not mentioning any, any names, but I just know that that has... Um, been known to happen. I'm not mentioning it. I'm not mentioning any names. You would know who if I did. So I, pockets weren't an option. And so as I sat down and I looked at this offending item, I just said, "I'm just gonna have to. I'm just gonna have to do it." I cut into it. You're wondering what it is. I'll tell you in a minute. I cut into it. And just looking at it just made me feel like I wanted to just, I put the first little bit in my mouth that I felt like I was going to heave, started to gurg. I was just like, no, Granny, I can't, I can't do it. She said, son, you must eat the okra. (laughs) It is good for you. I said, Granny, I can't. It's too slimy. (laughs) And I don't know if it was the appearance or it was just the texture, but I couldn't deal with it. Couldn't deal with it. And, you know, my grand, she's a compassionate and merciful woman. She she said, all right, just finish what's in your mouth and leave the rest. I was grateful. And yet, okra, also known as lady fingers, is full of nourishment and, and nutrition. And it is truly good for you. But I wasn't having it. As we encounter the text, we see that there are those also who are not having what God has placed on the menu. They're not having what God has placed on the menu. And There's definitely much for us to consider as we think about how do we respond to God's choice of menu for us? How do we respond to God's choice of menu for us? There is going to come a point as we go through the text that we will see that 
one of the greatest tests of our response is presented just as it was to the the the, the people who were there with Jesus the Jews um, the Jewish leaders and the disciples one of the greatest tests exposing if there was any test that would really expose our inclination toward the Lord and our willingness to accept his menu, accept what he has ordained, this test is the one. Um, okay, so we've got a lengthy portion of text and um, not a lot of time. And so I forewarn you that um, we're going we're gonna to go in. I'm going to try and go at pace because I know Camille is waiting on the other side of the children's church door if she's not in here. Um, she's got 25 kids in there and she is not wanting excuses. <laughs> so if you turn your Bibles to John chapter 6, I'll pray. Father God, we thank you for your tremendous faithfulness toward us in that you are good and your menu is good. Um, and yet, Lord, we need help seeing that. And just as we encounter those in the text today, Lord, um, we recognize that you are speaking to us about how we, Lord, interact with you and the extent to which we are willing and prepared to submit to your divine authority. And so, Lord, have your way, we ask. Lord, we pray that you would speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So our text is kind of divided fundamentally into two main sections where we see first and foremost in verses 41 to 59 that the, the grumbling of the Jewish leaders and the outcome of that. And then from 60 to 71, the grumbling of the disciples and the outcome of that. So from the outset, we notice that the general tone, the general idea of what's going on here is the people are grumbling about God's menu. The people are grumbling. Now, some of us can be inclined to grumbling. <laughs> Pay particular attention as we go through because it's not a good place to be. So, bit by bit. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves so Jesus has declared himself to be the bread from heaven he's declared himself to be sent by God he's declared himself to be greater than Moses and so this is the response that the people have to his revelation his disclosure of himself they weren't having it they weren't happy they grumbled. And you notice it says that they grumbled among themselves, as is often the case when people grumble. When we grumble, we very rarely tend to go to the one with whom we have the problem. We tend to grumble to ourselves or amongst those who we think will give us a, a, a sympathetic ear, who might chime in with the grumbling. And so the grumbling... It becomes contained amongst those who really are not making any difference to the issue apart from making it worse. Rather than going to the one with whom the issue exists. And so they grumbled among themselves. It does not pay to grumble against God. It does not pay to grumble against God. One of the reasons why is that God always knows. <laughs> now you'd think that's obvious, right? Of course God knows everything. But somehow it seems as though 
when we're grumbling, we must think that at that moment in time, that truth doesn't apply. God knows when we grumble and he knows how to deal with our grumbling. We see that Jesus addresses them directly. They grumbled about Jesus's identity because they assumed that they knew his origin. How can he say he is the bread that has come down from heaven? Is, isn't this Joseph's son? And, and we, we know Mary. See, so he was in his home region at this point. He's, he's gone back north from Jerusalem. And he's among people that know him, people that have maybe even seen him grow up. We know, we know, we know you about come down from heaven. Now, they assumed a knowledge of his origin. Notice, isn't this the son of Joseph? Now, is Jesus the son of Joseph? Is, is he the, the son of Joseph? Was Joseph his biological father? No. Joseph was his stepdad. But Joseph wasn't his biological father. And this is one of the things being emphasized right through this chapter. The relationship between Jesus the son and God the father. And yet they assumed to know him. They assume to have knowledge of his origin. And very often, as we see this mistake that they make, we're able to see the mistake that is often made by us when we grumble. Because very often when people are grumbling and are discontented about things, it's things that they don't really have full knowledge of. Often assumptions are being made. Oh, why are the words displayed like this? Oh, why is the music like this? Oh, why is the sound this? Oh, why does members meet and have to be? Oh, no, no, no. And there's all of these kind of grumblings that go on. Someone's going to get touched today, so <laughs> trust me. And more often than not, it's grumblings based on assumptions that lack full knowledge of the issue. These people didn't have full knowledge of who Jesus really is. Because we know Jesus is the son of God. He was divinely conceived by the Holy Spirit. So he was more than just Joseph's son. Legally speaking, um, paternal responsibility, duty of care, Joseph. Origin. God. So let us not fall foul of making that same mistake. Now, as we consider the bigger picture here, we see that Jesus has made it clear that actually he is the bread from heaven, bread given by God, and actually it was God who gave the children of Israel bread in the wilderness. Not Moses. They're like, Moses, Moses gave us. Moses, uh-uh. God gave in the prior verses of the chapter. And I'm not going to be able to cross-reference everything. It would take up too much time. So it's there. Listen to last week. Jesus is establishing his identity as being greater than that of Moses. These people are grumbling just as the children of Israel did in the wilderness when they received that bread from heaven. What happened when they were in the wilderness and they received that bread from heaven and they ate that bread and they were to leave none over and they then began to grumble. Oh man, this bread is kind of dry. It's kind of tasteless at least back in egypt we had leeks and onions who's gonna like long for onions they're longing for flavor they're longing for taste 
we want some seasoning. You know, there's certain shops that you're just not going to go and buy food from because it's just so bland. You know, those ready-made chicken packets and you're just like, if, if I buy that, I have to add seasoning because I want some flavor. And this, is, this was their mentality. We want some flavor. We want some taste. And they grumbled. Some meat. We had breakfast yesterday as we was here doing the painting. And um, brother said to me, yeah, egg and bacon, definitely better than croissants. <laughs> and I said, I know what you're saying, bro. There's no meat in croissants, right? <laughs> it's like a meal's not a meal unless it's got meat in it. Well, that's what they were saying. We want something that we can get our teeth into. They grumbled and they grumbled. And what happened? God gave them meat. He gave them quail. And he gave it to them until it was coming out of their noses. That was God's response to their grumbling. You see, when we grumble against God, we're communicating a dissatisfaction with him who is perfect. We're communicating a dissatisfaction with him who is perfect. Think about that. How can one be dissatisfied with someone who is perfect? What is there to be dissatisfied about? And so, Jesus goes on to say, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. Now that might sound like somewhat of a random response. Jesus, we know who you are. Joseph's your dad. We know your mom. How can you say you come from heaven? Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. You see, Jesus gets to the root of the issue. The issue wasn't his, his, his identity in terms of um, their perception of him. The issue was their willingness to submit to the father. That's the real issue. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. Now, this is one of those verses that we should highlight, underline, you know, make sure that we've got it locked in our memory banks. It's one of those verses that is very similar to another verse that we are more familiar with. John 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. All right. So we're familiar with that verse. We understand that no one can come to the Father except, except through Jesus Christ. And that's unequivocal. And we stand on that as being one of the foundational principles of our faith. The only way to God is through Jesus Christ. And yet, Jesus flips it and clarifies the process. No one can come to me. Remember, they were grumbling with Jesus. They were grumbling with accepting his confession about himself and who he is. One who has come from heaven. And they're like, no, how can this be? No, we don't want to hear this. No, we're not trying to accept that. And he's just like, it's simple. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. This fundamentally reveals the sovereign nature of God in saving people. This exposes the supreme authority of God in salvation. And there is no doubt that this, when considered for any length of time, can prove to be one of the most challenging truths of the Bible. Pastor Rob touched on it last week and um, graciously left it for my attention, but quite rightly so. 
because it's expanded on here. So last time Jesus said this, all that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. So Jesus has already primed them. Now why is this verse so contentious? So, so contentious John 6.44 Why is it so contentious that no one can come to Jesus unless the Father who sent him draws them. Fundamentally, what it does is it challenges us to our core as to whether or not we are going to let God be God. You see, it begs the question, if those who come to Christ are only those who are drawn by the Father, why doesn't the Father draw everyone? Furthermore, why does he draw some and not draw others? If we think about it just a little bit, we begin to ask these questions, right? And it's important that we be honest in our Christianity and not paper over things, not tipex over things, but that we wrestle honestly with God. I know for me, this was a, a very problematic Truth, the doctrine of God's election, the fact that God chooses people to be saved. Why is it that God would choose and it's not based on the choice of individuals? Well, there are a few reasons for that. Primarily because God is God. God made all things. God makes the rules. God chooses who he wants. God does what he wants because he's God. The moment that we say, well, salvation should be based on our choice in any way whatsoever, we are esteeming ourselves to be above or equal to God. That our decisions are as important or more important than God's. God is God. He is sovereign. He is divine. Now this doesn't mean that as individuals we don't respond to God. And Pastor Rob rightly stated last week, do we choose God? Yes, we do. But we recognize as we see this, that it's in response to God's work in us, drawing us to himself. This is one of the, the truths of the Reformation, um, which took place back in the 16th, 17th century, the the um, movement, it wasn't even a, a, just an incident or an event, but it was a movement um, which spawned what is known as the Protestant church. And fundamentally, you had uh, a brother called Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King Jr., I have a dream, but there was a Martin Luther from whom he got his name back in those days. And he used to be a, a Roman Catholic priest. And... During that time, he was deeply troubled, continuously troubled, constantly troubled that he wasn't good enough for God, that he was not going to make it in the end, that he would not be saved. And he was so troubled that he would often really lament and, and mourn and to the point where he would beat his head against the wall just no, I'm not going to do it. I can't make it. I'm not good enough. Till his head would bleed. And he received the revelation. The just shall live by faith. Faith in God. And as he saw those scriptures in Romans and as he saw Ephesians 2, that salvation is a gift of God and it's not of works. 
He was liberated that God grants salvation as a gift. And, it's, and, it's, and I don't have to qualify because I know I can't. And my, my bad deeds will not disqualify me because it's granted as a gift. And he was liberated. And one of the principles that came out of that, and there were several, um, was the clarification that God chooses, the affirmation of the Bible truths that God chooses. A lot of people can tend to focus on those things. Um, election, God's work of atonement in Christ. But there are some other truths of the Reformation that are kind of um, left by the wayside in comparison. And they've become known as the five solas. And the foremost of those is soli deo gloria. Soli deo gloria, a Latin term which basically means soli alone and deo God, gloria, glory. To God alone be the glory. Only God is worthy of glory. Only God is worthy of honor. Only God is worthy to be ascribed the status, given the credit, given the regard, looked upon as God. He alone. Not us. And so in Psalm 115, verses 1 to 3, we see this. Not to us, O Lord. Not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Notice in that first verse, you don't see this sense of this egotistical, I must be worshipped, I must receive the glory kind of God that people would, you know, they kind of give you that kind of impression. That's, we serve a God who is love. And so what do we see? In light of his steadfast love and faithfulness, he is worthy of glory. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Now, as I read that verse, uh, I'm thankful for Christian rap. Aye. Shailin. On the Attributes album. And I would encourage you, you know what? Saturate your spirit, even in your times of leisure and pleasure, with the word of God. There's good godly music out there that will nourish and edify you, that you can just enjoy and meditate on, and it will build you up. We really need to scrutinize our diet of media input. It was through his song, I can't remember the title of the song, I think it's Our God is in the Heavens. Our God is in the Heavens. He does all that he pleases. That basically means that God does whatever he wants. Now, who are we to question God? God is sovereign. He is supreme. It is in his steadfast love and faithfulness, in his mercy and grace, that he's even revealed himself to us, that he would even save anybody. And so we give thanks. And yet still, the truth remains troubling because it causes us to question the goodness of God. Why would God choose some and not others? Surely that's not fair. I say to you, based on whose system of values? Based on the fact that man is more valuable and more important than God and his will? Now, you'll be relieved to know that there is nowhere in scripture that actually tells us why God chooses anyone. Apart from the fact that it's because it's what he pleases. Some would say God chooses on the basis of 
the decisions that people make because he knows in the future they're going to make. That, that was my conviction for most of my Christian life. If I ever kind of thought about it, that was the conclusion that I came to. God knows the choice that I was going to make. And so knowing the future and the choice that I would make, he chose me. Now, I was challenged because when you boil that down, whose decision is the critical one? God's or mine? Mine. So therefore, I could stand and take credit in the last day and say, well, thank God I was smart enough to choose him. And he knew I would. Glory to myself and not to God. So the scripture doesn't tell us why God makes his choice, but it tells us that God is good, that God is just and God is fair. The fact that we don't know why, and you know, Pastor Rob said last week, there are certain things about God that are just mysterious. And I'm glad about that. Let me tell you something. If you can figure God out, he ain't God. Like, who are you worshipping? Someone you can calculate and Google and, and, and Wikipedia and I've got, I've got God sussed. He's not God then, is he? God must be great and mysterious and majestic. Otherwise, he's not God. I love the fact that God is mysterious. Love that. Because it brings me to my knees in worship. Lord, I don't know. I don't understand. But I just worship you because you're awesome in your power and your greatness. Amen. That, that's, that warrants an amen. Thank you, Pastor Rob. Deuteronomy 29, 29. Another one for your highlighter. If you've got an electronic app, learn how to highlight on your electronic app. Because you can do on most of them, you know. Even the free ones. Seriously. And you know, I'm a man of love freeness. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. Why? What's the last clause? That we may do all the words of his law, that we may be obedient to him. What God has revealed necessitates our obedience. And our obedience is given on the basis that he is God. And what he hasn't revealed, we don't need. We don't need to know. And in that realm of mystery that exists in his choosing people to be saved, it can challenge us. But God has revealed that he's good. I mean, look at the means by which we are saved. And this gets expounded on later on in the chapter. It's through the death of his only begotten son. So how much more do we need to know that God is good and that he's ready to go all out to save those whom he loves? How much more do we need to know? He, he actually gave his son to be killed. A brutal and torturous death. That those who believe might have everlasting life. Is that not love? personified is that not love exhibited and so let's not seek to interfere with things we don't know and we don't understand and we will um, elaborate on this in community group as we look at Romans 9 and key verses there because again Paul addresses that argument when he thinks about Israel and the nation of Israel and the way in which they rejected the Messiah and will there be hope for them. And in that, again, he highlights the sovereignty of God. And so we'll, we'll unpack that a little bit. So, do not grumble among yourselves. If there was ever a thing that could cause us to grumble, grumble at God, Let's obey the words of Jesus. Don't grumble. Trust God. And, you know, the beautiful thing is this. For some, it could cause them to fear. Oh, so am I chosen by God? 
Well, as we see, Jesus is the evidence of God's work in our hearts and lives. And as we embrace Jesus, it demonstrates that we have been chosen. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. And so embrace Jesus. The Jews couldn't. I would suggest the fact that most of us are here, um, or all of us who are here and those who are listening, are actually listening to the teaching of God's word because God is doing a work in our hearts and lives. Now the question is, how will you, will you respond? And so it still comes back down to, okay, God is doing the work, how will you respond? I should highlight one thing. You know, there are certain foods, like I, I couldn't deal with okra, right? I don't even think I've tried eating it since. It was traumatizing. There's probably other ways to prepare okra, right? That it, Less slimy and so on. Ah, Niger fam's like, yeah, you ain't tasted our Niger, not our okra. Yeah. How do you, how do you call, what do you call it? You're going to hook me up. I, like, give me some notice though, innit, bro? <laughs> because I need psychologically to prepare myself. It's still okra, bro. Like, you know what I mean? I, I wouldn't know. All right, that's what I like to hear. There's certain things that we don't like. You know, people always talk about the marmite taste. Mar mar marmite test. It's either you love it or you hate it. Who likes marmite? See? See? I'm with you. I'm with you. You like okra. <laughs> I like marmite and you like okra. It's, am it's amazing how one, one thing can just polarize a whole, <laughs> a whole people. Opposite, opposite ends of the spectrum. Old adage remains true. It's either you love it or you hate it. Now, the reality is this. The Bible teaches us that when it comes to God, in all his holiness and perfections, Actually, we don't want God. Nobody wants God. And it is necessary that he does a work in our hearts in order that we might want him. And that's um, revealed further as we get to the end when he talks about Judas. Because it, Jesus talks about in, in verse 70, I chose Judas. Knowing that he was going to betray me. And the reality is that we're all Judas. Because left to ourselves, that's what we would do. So, John, um, Romans 3.23 summarizes this truth. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, we read that and we quote that, and the way we understand it often is, well, basically we're good people, but everybody's flopped at some point. Basically, we're, we're, you know, we do our best and we miss the mark. We flop, we trip, we stumble, we fumble. And everybody's, nobody's perfect. We say that, right? Nobody's perfect. And very often, the underlying sentiment is nobody's perfect, but we are good people, though. <laughs> if we're honest, for real, right? And so even as we quote this verse... We can quote this verse with that same mentality. Well, everyone sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But, you know, I heard Pastor Rob say this. I love it. A verse out of context is a con. Hmm. No, no. I'm always mashing up your quotes, bro. <laughs> Forgive me. No, 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 no. Let me, let me take that back. This is, this is the quote. A text out of context is a con. Now you understand why it had to be uh, re remixed yeah? and, and you understand because it just don't work unless you say a text out of context is a con. Think about that. Oh, tight Pastor Rob still. 
So we take this out of context. Let's look at the context. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Gentiles, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. Hold on, no, no, there is God. There's, there's at least one person, I mean, apart from Jesus. There's at least one person. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. But hold on, I've been seeking for God all my life. Well, God was graciously doing a work in your heart and life. Left to yourself. What does it say? No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even, I mean, how much more emphatic could it be? Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Does this kind of suggest to us that, mm. but we're still a good person though? <laughs> no. Left to ourselves, we wouldn't want God. God would be like okra to me, marmite to some of you. And it takes God to change our palate, spiritually speaking. It takes God to change our tastes in order that we would desire what we wouldn't ordinarily desire. Such is the great power of God. And again, why? Listen, we can't answer that. And yet we know all glory goes to God because he is good. In Hebrews, 6, Hebrews 11, 6, it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Those that come to him must know that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. See, we have faith in a God who genuinely exists. We know he exists and we know that he is good. He is a rewarder. He's good. He is God and he is good. This has been revealed. And so we hold on to this and we don't grumble. Verse 45, it is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the father except he who is from God. He has seen the father. And so Jesus underlines this point. And here he's making reference to the Old Testament prophecies. prophecies the promises that were given in Isaiah and also in, in Jeremiah, in Isaiah 54, 13, all your children shall be taught by the Lord and great shall be the peace of your children. Jeremiah 31, 33 to 34. But this is the covenant. So as Jesus is saying this to them, these truths with which they ought to be familiar should be ringing in their ears. This is the covenant that I will make the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord. For they shall all know me. 
from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. And so emphatically, God declares his purpose and his work. Jesus goes on, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now, Jesus here reiterates the experience of those who were in the wilderness. They received manna from heaven and they ate. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Spiritual life is found in me. It is found in feeding on me, as Pastor Rob said last week, not with our mouths, but with our hearts. Love that. Not with our mouths, but with our hearts. And the thing is, those guys in the wilderness ate bread from heaven, but they still died. So however great that miracle was, it wasn't eternally working in its power. They still died. Jesus saying, I am the living bread. I'm not just bread. I'm living bread. You know, how many times have you been let down by going to the fridge? You know, you just, you just need that snack. You're like, yeah. Uh, there's some bread here somewhere. I know there's something in the fridge I can munch on. You go in there, you grab it, you reach for it, you look at it and you're like, hmm, I don't know if this is good, you know. You check it, you look at the sell-by date. It's a month old. I know some of you got month-old food in your fridge. Just don't carry on like you're proper. And you're just like, oh, no, let down. Food's spoiled. Uh, but we expect food, especially natural good food, to spoil, right? It's not like that fast food you see on, on the, in, the, in the little Facebook pictures. People like, this food was left on, on, on the side for two months. Burger and chips still look fresh like the day it just came out of the... Um, <laughs> you don't expect good food to last forever. In the natural realm. If something is going to sustain itself in that kind of fashion, you're thinking there's all kind of additives. There's, this ain't good quality food. Spiritually, Jesus flips the principle. Okay, so we expect natural food, good food, to, to become useless, to die, to lose its um, edibleness, if there is such a word. Jesus is saying, I'm that living bread, that bread that keeps on giving, that keeps on living, that never dies. And so stands to reason, if we are nourished by living bread, we will live as that bread lives. Amen. It is only in Christ that we can feel, find eternal life. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Now, the Jews disputed among themselves. So they've gone from grumbling to disputing. They've gone from grumbling uh, this guy talking about, about his come from, to now much more firmly and strongly resisting. As I mentioned before, if you're inclined to grumbling, do take note, because the path of the grumbler is not, it's not a good one. The end, the end of that journey, if we allow ourselves to be given to grumbling, is not a good one. And here we see them in disputes, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. I mean, if it wasn't bad before, 
I'm the bread. I mean, you're talking about bread. Now he's talking about eating flesh. I heard Bertram earlier. That notion, I mean, he could barely say it. And they they were stranded. And they had no other choice. It was their last resort. I mean, can you imagine? What they... They had to eat the human. It's, 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 you can barely get it out. The notion, Jesus intensifies the metaphor. He, he, he steps it up in, in the face of their resistance. He goes from bread to flesh. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh, of the Son of Man and drink his blood. Now, this sounds like some, some of you are going to be too young to remember this. Hammer House of Horror. <laughs> remember Hammer House of Horror? This seems like some Stephen King, some Saw 10, like <laughs> madness. Eat flesh and drink blood. Unless you do that, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Now, Jesus intensifies the metaphor. And as he does so, he challenges them even more deeply. I mean, you have to recognize that he's talking to a people who wouldn't even eat pig. pig. Like you bring them some bacon, some, some pig foot, some... They're not having it. Even a slice of ham. Is there any pork in that? And I, and I know some of you are, you know, that's your inclination and I'm not rubbishing that at all. But I'm just saying that these are people who wouldn't even eat pig. So when it came to eating meat, they were very choosy. And yet Jesus is talking about eating flesh and drinking blood. And yet there's something here that they understood. For some, they would have kind of heard it on a superficial level, on a natural level. They would have heard flesh and blood and they would have had a problem with that there were others who would have maybe made a deeper association so if you've got your chapter 6 open look at verse 4 what season does it say they are in Passover now the Passover the feast of the Jews was at hand So it's Passover season. And when you think about the first Passover, we can then begin to appreciate exactly what it is Jesus is communicating to them. In Exodus chapter 12, I'll take it from verses 6 to 10. So God's basically, for those who are unfamiliar with the story, you have God's people in captivity in Egypt and they are being held hostage and God has promised to deliver them and now it is on the eve of their deliverance when God is it's the night before their rescue and so God says to them look you need to get a lamb a, a, a spotless lamb and you need to take a lamb for your household and you need to you need to kill that lamb and then he goes on to um, describe here You shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that night roasted on the fire with unleavened bread. So you see blood, flesh and bread all in this context. And bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted. Its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. 
Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. So here, this is the first Passover. This is the instructions of God to his people. Take the lamb, kill the lamb. Put the blood on the doorposts, the, 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 the crossbar on the posts, and eat the lamb. Eat all of it that you can eat. Eat until you're stuffed and what you can't eat, burn. Leave no remains. Consume the whole thing. In doing this, they would be spared death and led to salvation. As they obeyed the word of God as delivered from Moses, they would be led out of their slavery. And so, as Jesus communicates to them about his flesh being true food and his blood being true drink, he's not talking about it in a literal cannibalistic sense. He's talking about that wholehearted submission to God that wholehearted submission to God that results in me being willing to take everything that he puts before me in Christ Jesus. You see, with Jesus, it's all or nothing. Jesus can't be partly Lord. If he's not completely Lord, he is not Lord at all in our lives. And so there's that necessity to look at the menu of God and see that Jesus is the menu. And there is no other choice if we want life. It's not like you can say, you know what, I'm not really feeling the menu in this restaurant, I'm going to go somewhere else. Life can be found nowhere else. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. And he, Jesus keeps reaffirming this tremendous promise. It's not as if he's asking for everything and offering nothing. And so often when we're challenged by God, when we're challenged to submit and be obedient, we're like thinking about how much we've got to lose how much we've got to give up or exactly what it's going to cost us so often to the point where we cannot even see what is on offer God's offer is so much greater than we could ever imagine and even let alone hope to gain by ourselves Whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Now, Focus shifts from the Jews to the disciples. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, it's a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? I mean, they did. Do you? Then what if you were to see the son of man ascending to where he was before? It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Notice the spirit gives life. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. If those words are received and embraced and submitted to, it gives the life necessary in order to respond. But there are some of you who do not believe. Notice he's talking to his disciples. There are some of you who do not 
believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe. And who it was who would betray him. Now, Judas was among them, but Jesus, what, Judas wasn't the only one who didn't believe. As we see. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. So even amongst you disciples, you're struggling. Some of you are not trying to hear this. Oh, it's all about the Father's work. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, where shall we go? To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Is that your testimony today? Have you believed and come to know that Jesus is the Holy One of God? Do you accept God's menu for your life? Because God's menu for your life is Jesus. Others would say, you know, well, God's got this great and wonderful plan and he's going to give you a house and he's going to give you the best job and he's going to give you um, a great marriage and he's going to give you wonderful children and he's, you know, this flawless experience. That's not what is presented in the gospel. What's presented in the gospel is Jesus. And in Christ, we will have hardship. And in Christ, we won't get everything we want because we don't dictate the menu. God does. In giving ourselves to Jesus, we are ultimately saying, yes, Lord, your will be done in my life and not my own. And so in conclusion, Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? Wow. Wow. <laughs> one of you, not even, you know, one of you is a bit shady. <laughs> one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. For he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. You see, Jesus knew this. And Jesus clarifies this from the outset. It's right, bro, I'm done. Jesus clarifies this from the outset. In the previous verses, he said, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. And verse 39, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. Now, if Judas was given by the Father and was not saved by Jesus, then Jesus failed the will of the Father. Judas wasn't given by the Father, and there are none who are given by the Father who Jesus does not save. We have complete confidence in Christ. Not based on our own choosing, not based on our own works, but based on the glorious grace of God. In ways that we don't fully understand, but in submission to his will, we say, Amen. To you alone, O Lord, be all the glory. Because where else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Let's stand. Maybe you're here today and you've not submitted to 
Jesus Christ. The invitation is extended to you. The fact that you're here and you're hearing this is evidence that God is at work in your life. And to whom God reveals the gospel is opportunity for salvation. Because the gospel is spirit and life. And the gospel is the good news of Jesus. That all who believe in him shall be raised up in the last day. And yet it requires complete and total submission. A complete surrender to God as sovereign, as supreme. And you know, there may be some who, you know, you've been wrestling with that lack of surrender because you know that your heart is not completely surrendered. You know that you are not completely given over to the Lord. And there are times when you feel like those disciples who are like, this is a hard saying, we can't deal with this. And you're ready to walk off. And yet the Lord, he calls you to come and surrender your all. Because there is life in no one else. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for your mercy and your grace. We thank you for your loving kindness. Lord, we do ask that you would help us to constantly revisit that place of surrender. We recognize that that first Passover spoke of you and the giving of your life, Jesus, for the sin of the world. As John said in chapter 3, you are the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And truly, you were consumed by the judgment of the Father for us, that our sin might be forgiven and we could receive life everlasting. Lord, we pray that, you know, where we find it hard to, to swallow your truth, where we find it hard to swallow your will, that, Lord, you would just continually work in us to change our taste, Lord, causing us to delight in you and to delight in your will. May we repent deeply, Lord, of our resistance. May we not grumble and dispute. May we not grumble and turn away. Have your way in us, Lord, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. To find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.